Hey, Christ community, so good to be with you today. Thanks for letting me be a part of your journey with Jesus. Uh, before we jump into the message, I wanted to share something really cool regarding the generosity of this church. So your giving in December was larger than any month in our history as a church. I mean, praise God for the expanding ministry that can happen because of the generosity of so many of you. Uh, that's very, very exciting. Well, this past Christmas was pretty amazing for our family, for my family. A week before Christmas, my son Joel got engaged, which is really exciting. And then our son Caleb and, and wife Lauren revealed to us that they are pregnant, which makes me a grandpa, you know. So I'm ready to show pictures to anyone who asks. I have on my phone pictures of the ultrasound at nine weeks. I mean, this baby was moving all over the place. Lots of energy. We can't wait to meet this little one. You know, that, that whole experience really has reminded me of how we as humans were created. We are created for connection. Here, here this child isn't even born, and we feel this longing to connect and to love and to be in their life. God created all of us with this longing, this need, this capacity to experience deep relational connection with other people. But here, here's our reality. Even though relational connection is essential to our thriving as humans— we often struggle to experience deep connections with people. So how can we grow in our experience of relational connection? Well, that's the question that we're focusing on in this five-week series. Each week, we're looking at a specific practice that can help us, that can enable us to better connect with people. And we're, we're using as our launching base a passage of Scripture in the book of Acts, chapter 2, where we see the church... God's people living in this place of deep relational connection. And, and another word for what they were experiencing is the word family. I mean, the church, really, the church is designed to be a family, a safe place where people can experience genuine relational connection. And so in this series, we're doing a deep dive into the relational dynamics that were going on in that spiritual family so that we can grow in our experience of those things as well. So the first week, we talked about the foundation for healthy relational connection. That foundation is commitment, making relational connection a priority in our lives, choosing connection over our own desire for comfort. Then last week, we talked about the second essential aspect of relational connection, and that is acceptance, delighting in and accepting people just as they are. We talked about how the biblical understanding of acceptance has nothing to do with agreement. It is a posture of the heart that sees people through the same lens that Jesus sees us. Acceptance is this powerful atmosphere that enables deep connections to happen. Well, today we're going to explore a third critical aspect of healthy relational connection. It's something that, that really takes the atmosphere of acceptance to a whole new relational level. So what is this other factor? Well, we see it playing out in Acts chapter 2. As these new believers in Jesus are gathering together, and look, look, look at verse 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, this is an amazing picture of people generously meeting the needs of other people around them, which is really cool. But I want us to focus in on those last few words that we just read. To anyone who had need. Now, here's my question. How would anyone in that community know if someone had a need? 
Well, the person with the need would have to let other people know about it. They would have to admit their need. For example, let's say there was a woman in that church whose husband had passed away recently and she's struggling to feed her family. And everyone in that church assumes her husband left her an inheritance to provide for her. But what if he didn't? And what if she didn't let anyone in the community know about this need because she didn't want to be a burden or she didn't want to look weak? Her decision to withhold that information for fear of looking weak actually creates a barrier to connection. One of the essential aspects of a healthy relational connection is a willingness to be known a willingness to allow ourselves to be seen and known for who we really are. I mean, acceptance is a wonderful thing. As we talked about last week, it's a wonderful thing. But if people are not allowing others to see them for who they really are, acceptance becomes a moot point. As humans, we have been created by God with this longing to be seen and to be known and to be loved. I mean, we see this so clearly in the first few chapters of the Bible. So in Genesis 1, We see God creates Adam and Eve, man and woman in his image with this capacity for relational connection. And then in chapter two, we see this beautiful picture of their relationship. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, as we talked about last week, there is absolute acceptance here. But but the thing that makes that complete acceptance possible is that neither one of them are hiding. They were not trying to hide their weaknesses. They were not trying to pretend they have their act together. No, they, they allowed themselves to be completely known by each other. I mean, this is beautiful. This is what we long for as humans. This is how God designed relationships to work. They are based on this reality of being seen and known and loved. But here, here's the problem. Even though we long to be known, we also actively resist this. We do. And so, so why do we resist this? Well, we see the reason in Genesis chapter 3. We just saw how Adam and Eve have this wonderful relationship, chapter 2, where they're allowing themselves to be known. But then in chapter 3, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and everything changed. Look at Genesis 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Suddenly their eyes were opened to see something they hadn't seen before, their own nakedness. They were now self-conscious. They felt exposed and vulnerable to rejection. So they hid their true selves. And we are still doing the the exact same thing. Even though we long to be seen and known, we, we tend to hide our true selves for fear of rejection. We don't want to admit need. We don't want to look weak. So we choose to hide behind our walls, not letting our guard down. And friends, look, this is destroying our ability to connect relationally. It's destroying our, our, our ability to experience the relational connection we long for. So this is a big deal. Okay, so, so what's the answer to this dilemma? of longing to be known and yet hiding who we really are for fear of rejection. Well, the answer is found in something amazing that God does to Adam and Eve later in Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. See, God comes to Adam and Eve 
and he clothes them. He covers their shame with a garment of skin. Now, how did God find a garment of skin? He had to sacrifice an animal. God sacrificed an animal in order to cover Adam and Eve's shame so that they could once again grow in their relationship with each other. See, that this points to exactly what Jesus has done for us in his sacrificial death on the cross. He clothes our shame, our feelings of not enough, and he pours out upon us his love and his acceptance. Now, why is this important? It's important because when we know we are known and loved by God just as we are, it frees us to allow ourselves to be known by others. It frees us to embrace a powerful practice that is essential for deepening relational connection. And that is the practice of vulnerability. See, vulnerability is how we reverse our Genesis 3 tendency to hide our true selves. It's by choosing to be vulnerable, by being willing to admit to others our need, our weaknesses, our longings, our struggles, our fears. Choosing vulnerability, it's really important, but often it feels terrifying. It feels like weakness. It, it feels like it would damage our relational credibility. If we were vulnerable, it would, people wouldn't look at us the same way, right? It would damage our relational credibility. But here's the deal. It actually has the opposite effect. So Dr. Brene Brown, who's an author and university professor in the area of social work, has devoted countless hours to looking at this area of relational connection. And as she explored why some people experience a, saw, a strong sense of love and belonging, other, and other people don't. She was exploring that. Why the difference? And she discovered that those who have strong, healthy relational connections all have in common this one thing vulnerability. They are willing to admit to others their need, their struggles, their weaknesses. And because of that, they experience a greater sense of connectedness to other people. Why? Because they are allowing themselves to be known, right? It goes back to that core need. They're allowing themselves to be known. And when that happens, they experience deeper relational connection. Now, this, I mean, this is the huge irony, really. Vulnerability feels like weakness, but it is actually an incredible strength. It's like a superpower that actually catalyzes relational connection and overall well-being. I was talking with Pastor KJ about this the other day. KJ is part of our teaching team, and and as most of you know, he has this a speech impediment that he's struggled with for years, and he told me how every time he gets up to speak here in church, there's a part of him that is terrified because it feels so vulnerable to be on stage speaking to hundreds of people knowing he has a hard time speaking. But here's what we've all noticed. Every time KJ speaks, there is a powerful, palpable connection he has with every person in the congregation, right? His willingness to be vulnerable is what makes his teaching so impactful, because it creates this catalytic relational connection. It's a superpower. It's amazing, right? A pastor friend of mine told me about a group he was invited to join. And this group, he was kind of intimidated because his group was made up of high-powered, successful leaders and CEOs who run companies and big churches, all that stuff. But they all struggle emotionally and relationally, right? And so 
So he joins his group. What do they do? What do they do in these groups? They share with the group their struggles, their fears, their insecurities, their secret longings. I mean, here they are these high-powered men and women who have hidden themselves behind an impenetrable wall of success, but now they are suddenly allowing themselves to be known. And this pastor friend of mine said, it is transformational. It is amazing to see what happens in the lives of his own life and the lives of these people. Vulnerability is not a, is not a, it's not weakness. It is a catalyst for deepening relational connection, which is why we see it so often in scripture, even in the life of our savior. So on the night Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed, leading to his crucifixion, what did he do? He reached out to a few close friends and he asked them to pray with him. And I want you to look at, this is probably familiar to many of us, but I want you to look at what he says to these three friends. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus, God in the flesh, is admitting to his friends that his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. He's admitting that he's not doing well. Emotionally, he's not doing well. See, Jesus is not hiding behind this veneer of invincibility. No, he is embracing vulnerability. Why? Because he longs for connection. He longs for connection. He wants to be known. This is not weakness. This is true strength and courage. This is God in the flesh being vulnerable, being known to others around him. You know, as followers of Jesus, how well are we following his example in this area? How willing are we to take the risk and to be vulnerable with other people? And what are we missing if we're not willing to go there? I mean, look, we, we can be in a Bible study or a small group that meets for years and yet never really be vulnerable never really be known, which is tragic and sad, but it happens all the time. I mean, sometimes our theological discussions actually become an easy way to avoid vulnerability. It's much easier to talk about eternal security than it is to admit a personal struggle with anxiety. The critical question in our relationships is this, in our small groups or whatever, any of our relationships, am I allowing myself to be known? Now, the beautiful thing is when we have the courage to admit to others a personal struggle, it actually gives them the freedom to do the same. And it transforms us and our relationships. I'm in a group with some guys who have all been through some really difficult marital things, in large part due to our, our own struggles and failures as men. I mean, the, the level of vulnerability in that group is amazing, and it is so life-giving. I mean, we are, we are better husbands. We are better men because of the vulnerability in that group. So let me, let me just ask, do, do you have relationships in your life where you are truly known? No secrets, no hiding, no pretending. And if not, what is keeping you from that? I mean, sure, sure it feels risky. Well, what if I'm rejected? What if people distance themselves? What if, you know, my small group doesn't respond well? I mean, there are all sorts of what ifs when we choose to embrace vulnerability. But let me, let me ask a different question. What if we don't do this? What if we don't? What if we choose to continue to hide behind this 
perfect veneer. I mean, we may on the surface continue to look like we have our act together, but our relationships will be distant. I mean, which is, which is the bigger risk? To be vulnerable and risk rejection or to be hidden and to build a wall around your heart and distance in your relationships? Which is the bigger risk? Now, I want to shift gears a bit and, and talk about the other side of this vulnerability, dyna- vulnerability dynamic. How are we to respond when someone is vulnerable with us, when someone opens up and is vulnerable about a struggle or a difficulty or a difficult emotion or whatever? I mean, this is a really, hey, look, this is a really important question <laughs> in terms of our experience of relational connectedness, because if we don't know how to respond properly, when someone is vulnerable to us, we have just unintentionally erected a barrier in our relationship. We will continue to sabotage our relationship and not experience the closeness we long for. So in order to explore this further, I want us to go back to the example of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus admitted to these three friends that his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow. So what did he need and want from them in that moment of vulnerability? Did he want a pep talk or maybe some advice? Come on, Jesus, you just need to trust the Lord more. Be more positive. I mean, think of all the good things that happened to you today. Don't don't go negative on me. Is that what he needed and wanted? Or what about pity? Ah, Jesus, you poor thing. Let me give you a big hug. Or, or, Or maybe Peter could have said, hey, you think you're experiencing sorrow? Let me tell you about the time I got my foot caught in that fishnet, lost a whole week's worth of wages. See, what what did Jesus most need in that moment as as, as he embraced vulnerability with his companions? What what did he want in that moment? let, Let me ask this, what would you have wanted? He wanted someone to be with him in his sorrow. He didn't want lectures or advice. He didn't want pity or comparison. He just wanted his friends to be with him in his anguish. What he wanted was empathy. See, empathy is the capacity to feel with someone. It is to enter into someone's pain with our hearts, not with our lectures and fix-it manuals. And not with our own, can you top this stories? No, empathy is to enter into someone's situation with our hearts. I mean, listen to how Paul describes this in Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. See, that's empathy. We open our heart in order to enter into whatever this person is experiencing. If someone is rejoicing over the news that they just got a job promotion, we enter into that. We celebrate and rejoice with them. And if someone shares a struggle they're going through or some sadness or fear they're experiencing, we enter into that place as well. See, empathy, like we're talking about here, empathy is such a powerful thing. And here's why. It creates this environment for people to experience deepening connection because it allows people to be seen and known and loved. But here's the deal. Um, When empathy is not demonstrated, it has the opposite effect. 
It, it, it makes people feel less known. It makes people withdraw relationally. They took a risk to be vulnerable, and we missed their heart. I mean, this is exactly what happened with Jesus. He asked his friends to stay with him, and then he went a little further to pray. In verse 40, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. In other words, couldn't you just be with me in my pain? But instead, they fell asleep. Even though they were physically present, they weren't relationally present. And you can hear the frustration and hurt in Jesus' words. Couldn't you be with me even for one hour? When, when someone wades into vulnerability and shares a struggle with us or with our group or whatever, how do, how do we respond? By looking at a text that just came through on our phone? Hold on, just got to check this out, right? Or by offering advice? or by sharing our own story, you know, or, or by gently lecturing them for feeling that way. See, if that's our response, we are going to shut down relational connection. We will. Because this person will not feel safe to share vulnerably next time. But, but if we choose in that moment to open our heart to them and to be with them in their pain and struggle, it pours life into that relational connection, pours life into it. Okay, so how can we grow in empathy? How do we open our heart to someone in their situation? Honestly, it is ultimately about being a good listener. It, it just goes back to being a good listener. What's good listening? Well, focusing on the person, making eye contact, not looking at our phone or at the television or our computer, not interrupting them. And then as we focus on the person, they're, as they're sharing, we're focusing on them, listen, to what they're saying through the lens of your heart. What is this person feeling? How can you acknowledge that? For instance, rather than, well, you should go back to your boss and tell them what you really think. Well, what if our response was, our initial response was, wow, that would be so frustrating. I, I can't believe he said that to you. And then we just wait. Often the person will be like, yeah, yeah, I know. And it was not only frustrating, it hurt my feelings. See, notice they're sharing more. They're exploring their own heart and sharing more. They're going even deeper. And then our response, well, I, I bet, man, that would be so hard. See, notice how in that example, we're not fixing anything. We're simply trying to enter into their experience. And another really helpful listening skill is asking questions. Well, how are you feeling about that? Well, how do you think you should respond? Man, that is so powerful. Note it, by asking questions, we're allowing this person's heart to open up even more. And this is really important. We're trusting that they can figure out the answer, <laughs> right? When we immediately offer unsolicited advice, uh, you know, oh, you need to do this. You should, you know, when we immediately go there, what we're really communicating is that we don't think this person is smart enough to figure this out, but we are. We don't think they've thought of what we've thought of. Oh, so we, but we're smart enough to figure out. But what if that's not the issue at all? What if this person simply wants to be known? What if that's what they long for? Not the problem to be fixed. What if they just want to be known? It, that is not a sign of lack of intelligence. It's actually the opposite. They want deeper connection. Look, they'll, they'll get to the solution. That's the easy part, honestly. 
They initially just want you to be with them in their pain. Now, anytime I, I, t- I teach on this, I usually get a couple of guys who come up after the service and say, hey, have you seen the It's Not About the Nail video, which has like 22 million views on YouTube? It's, it's this video of a woman with a nail sticking out of her forehead, and she's talking to her boyfriend about her headache and pain, and he just wants to keep bringing up the nail in her head, and she keeps saying, stop, I don't want you to fix this. You know, It's not about the nail, all that. Okay, um, and when I first saw the video, you know, it, it is funny. It, it made me laugh, and, and that's how a lot of a lot of guys, in particular, that's how a lot of guys feel. But but there, there's an underlying message in that video that I think is really unhelpful. It's it's the idea that our emotions have simple solutions, and that if this person would just see what is obvious, they could fix it. If we could just offer the obvious solution, the struggle would be gone. But look, friends, 99% of people's struggles don't have a simple, obvious solution. It's not about a nail sticking out of someone's head that just needs to be removed. It's about like a heart wound someone experienced from a comment at work, and that triggered a young place that feels very threatened. See, often a person doesn't even know why they're feeling the way they are, but they want to invite someone into that place. They want to be known. This is not a sign of weakness or a lack of intelligence. It is a beautiful thing. This person wants to connect with you in a deeper way than simply talking about the weather. And so they have come to you and have opened their heart. They have trusted you with this very vulnerable thing. And and in that moment, you and I have been given a very precious, a precious opportunity that we can either ignore, dismiss, trample on, or we can treasure. Every moment of vulnerability is a powerful opportunity for connection. If we choose to enter with our heart into this person's struggle. Every moment of vulnerability is an opportunity for deeper connection. If we see it for the value it is, and not just an opportunity to give wisdom to fix something so this person can move on. No. Now, now some of us, now some of you, I should say, do this naturally. I don't, okay? Um, Others of us don't. And if you're someone like me who struggles to kind of be empathetic and all that, I really think we need to look, we need to take some time and explore what's going on in our own heart. Like if Raylene shares with me a vulnerable emotion and my immediate response is to try to fix that, here's the question. Why am I doing that? Why do I feel the need to squelch this emotion? Why do I feel the need to fix this? Is it because I'm maybe uncomfortable feeling sad? See, maybe I'm the one with the heart issue, not Raylene. So for those of us who struggle, I think it's important for us in those moments when we want to tell our own story, when we want to... whatever, when we want to just kind of interrupt, when we, when we don't listen well, all that stuff, want to fix and give advice. What if we stopped and said, why am I responding this way? Why can't I just be with this person in this emotion? It could be that we don't value emotions ourselves, that we have disconnected from our own heart. I don't know. 
what what it is exactly for each one of us, but I do think it's worth exploring because there's some good stuff Jesus would want to do in our heart in that area. I mean, really, vulnerability, vulnerability is this sacred space in which we're taking the risk to be known. And when another person enters into that sacred space with us, it is a powerful, transformative moment because it so beautifully demonstrates the gospel of Jesus. It's in our relationship with this Jesus that we can find the courage to be vulnerable as well as the capacity to demonstrate empathy. So friends, let's let Jesus lead us into deeper relational connection as we allow ourselves to be known and to know others. Amen. Let's, let's pray. So God, we thank you that you have created us with this longing and this need to be known, to not have to hide or pretend, to not have to project this image of perfection. Man, we long to be known for who we are, to be seen and known and valued. We long for that. But we admit that we struggle with this. Many of us here maybe struggle with this. And so, so let me, let's just take a moment as you're thinking about your relational, relational, relational world. How well are you embracing vulnerability in your relationships? And where is Jesus inviting you to be more vulnerable in a particular relationship? Have you ever had that longing? You almost say something, then you shut it down. There's a longing to open up, but maybe you've always shut that down. Where is a context where Jesus is inviting you to be more vulnerable? Ask him for the courage to go there. And second question, what about the other side of vulnerability? When someone shares a struggle or an emotion with you, what is your instinctive response and why? Lord, for those of us who maybe struggle to be empathetic and we feel panic, we feel like fixing something, whatever, would you help us explore what is going on in us when we have that immediate response to someone being vulnerable? And would you use that to help us really understand our own heart and our need to grow in relational connection? So Jesus, help us learn how to be with people in their struggle. Help us grow as listeners, as people of compassion, as people who allow others to be known by us. Man, we, God, we long for deeper connection with people. We long for it. Would you help us grow in this as individuals and as a church family to know and to be known? In Jesus' name, amen.